0: Hello, welcome back to Tales from a Cult Insider, the podcast about me, Jared Garrett, growing up in a cult that splintered off of Scientology in the 1960s, and it evolved uh, into something called the Process Church throughout the 60s and slowly into the 70s, and then it schismed at about 1974 into two. The process church of the second coming or final judgment whatever went off on its own with robert de grimston and the one i ended up being raised in uh growing up physically in at least because i was raised after you know what i'm saying was called the foundation faith of god uh first the foundation faith of the new millennium then the foundation faith of god then best friends animal society which is no longer a cult per se (laughs) mostly and that's about all i'm going to say about that welcome to episode 40, How I Met Their Mother. Now, I'm feeling a little, uh, I don't know, not emotional necessarily, but I've got some tender feelings. This is my final episode of the podcast. Um, when I say final, I mean final, but, you know, a little Marvel-like because there's, I've got a few epilogues planned down the road. I, I would love to be able to record a couple of interesting epilogues um, at, uh, at at writers' conferences and stuff. Um, and I may be able to get some former cult orphan cronies to, uh, join me on an epilogue episode of just kind of their insight, their perspective on things. Um, and so I'm not closing the door completely on this, but it's definitely coming to an end in general for the arc that I have been sharing with you. My stories in this cult and then immediately out of this cult, faithful listeners, Thank you for joining as much as you have. Uh, This has gone a little farther than I realistically thought it would. Um, I, of course, fantasized that it would become a huge, giant hit along the lines of lore or serial, but uh, man, I don't have the kind of uh, amazing draw that those things have. Um, But it's been a good journey. Um, I don't know if you know how this whole thing came about, but one night... I was sitting here in my office and um, wasn't feeling like putting down new words in my writing projects, but I was feeling a real strong need to create something, do something new, do something different. And so I, um, I picked up the microphone, sort of. I had a, button, a microphone already. I pulled the microphone down into my face um, and recorded an episode, the first one. Uh, and then I made the artwork in a fit of genius, as far as I'm concerned. I think it's some of the greatest creative art I've ever, I've ever put together on my own. Um, very handy that I had that photograph. Uh, and recorded that first episode and then put it up through Anchor, and that was that. I just heard about Anchor uh, from a friend, I think it was, uh, who suggested it, and I gave it a try. And it's good. Anchor is a very good podcasting platform for creating and launching your podcast. I recommend it. Uh, Hey, free, free press for you guys. Uh, and then, I uh, came back a week later and said, I'm doing more. And I told that other story the next episode. Um, of course you're familiar with these. And since you're such a huge fan, you can sur- surely reel off all of the titles, uh, which I can't really, but I can look at my list. And I can tell you that episode one is called, of course, context and boxing. And the second one, rituals and friends and poetry. So Uh, those, I didn't actually come back the next week. I came back the next day and uh, posted the second episode and then left it kind of forgot about it for almost four months. And then, uh, four months later, I came back and was like, you know, I wonder if that ever went anywhere. Did anybody ever listen to that? And I came back and there were 500 listens, 500 listens of those first two episodes. That, that was kind of amazing. I was just shy of 500 episodes if I remember right. And that was like, I was like, wow, there are people out there who listen to this and who found it interesting. That's fantastic. And so off I went, uh, recording every month and then every two weeks and then every week for a while and then every two weeks and then whenever I could get to it until this final episode. Um, again, thank you all for joining this this journey. It's been a, a good one for me. I've gotten to know some people and uh, we've gotten, we've we've kind of gone places I wouldn't have thought we would go. Uh, I've got a lot of listeners in Brazil. Hello. Tudo bom? Eu espero que vocês estão enjoying um, desfrutando podcast eu gosto muito de vocês eu amo muito seu you uh, you're welcome for the Portuguese those of you who don't uh, speak it uh, rewind it translate it to, for Google and you're good because that's all I'm gonna do I was just telling them I love them eu amo, uh, pai, país. Um, I love that country and I love the people there oh e a comida é muito bom demais. Anyway, uh, back on to the subject. Today's episode is called How I Met Their Mother. This is post-cult story three, by the way. Post-cult story three. Uh, And so, just as always, before we get right into the story, I want to encourage you to review, to share, to word of mouth this sucker right over the place. I mean, word of mouth has always been the right way to go and the best way to go. Uh, I've done research into this, and it's clear that people learn... Listen to new podcasts because they hear about them from somebody, a trusted friend, uh, somebody on Facebook sharing it or Twitter or Snap or even TikTok sharing it. Uh, I don't know if anybody shares things on Instagram, but yeah, maybe it does for podcasts. Uh, Those are always by far and it's organic stuff, natural stuff, uh, nothing paid for or anything like that. And so and self-promotion hardly ever works on any case for anything. I can barely sell books online. Um, So I appreciate all you do. Uh, just, just so you know, um, I mean, if you want to know some real numbers, if, if, if 10 of you were to share uh, this podcast with 10 people that you know, it uh, becomes a chain letter, an MLM almost. But it actually does grow very quickly. Um, if only 100 of you shared or 20 of you shared or whatever, uh, before long, I'd be at 50,000 listens. I'm already cracking 13,000, uh, which is quite a, quite a feat as far as I'm concerned for one single guy who's just doing, you know, what he wants and goofing around without any support there other than you fantastic listeners and some dear, dear friends. So again, thank you. Thank you for joining me on this journey. Today is the final episode until I get to the epilogues, uh, which I've already teased. Why? Because, you know, the, the story kind of comes, comes around in full corner. You know, I, I grew up without a family. Um, really, there's no other way to say it. I, I just grew up without a family. I knew who my parents were. Yeah, 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 yada, yada, yada. You know all that. Uh, my fondest dream, I had two of them. My fondest dream of the two was that I would I would have a family. I would marry a girl who, who I was in love with and who loved me dearly and who doted on me and who saw me for who I am and loved me anyway and loved me also because... Um, and uh, I would be in love with her forever. And my love would never die. Even though, you know, even back then I knew there could be challenges. But I knew that I wanted to marry my true love. I still believed in true love back then. And I sure do believe in it now, even more. Boy, I tell you, after 22 years. And so why not bring it full circle to me beginning the steps of having my own family, the thing I wanted my whole life? Um, I think that it's an appropriate place to bring the, the, this story to an end. Um, okay, so let's get to it. So uh, as you know, um, I've already talked about this. I I did join the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Um, I'm not going to share too many circumstances around that, but I thought I'd give you a little bit of context there. This is not going to be like a testimonial of any kind, uh, designed to convert you to something. But if you're curious, I know some guys who've got a free book for you. I love it very much. I got out of high school uh, and was firmly an atheist, uh, mainly because I didn't believe in the God that I'd been taught, uh, and uh, moved out of my father's house immediately. Uh, We had moved halfway through the school year into a bigger house because my father was making better money, and I believe my stepmother was also making some money on the side too. So uh, we moved into a bigger house, and I moved out of that house uh, as soon as as I graduated, uh, within like a month, into uh, an apartment with some friends, and some missionaries uh, saw us moving in. And I think they may have been sent our way, to tell you the truth, by some well-meaning friends, if you get my meaning. You know, uh, they offered to help us uh, move in, and we didn't really need the help. I didn't have really much of anything to move in. Um, and so we rejected them, I think, politely. Uh, and they probably knocked on our door once or twice. And then, uh, you know, you know things that unfolded in uh, my, my roommate, Tim, who I'd grown up with. Uh, wound up going to a dinner at a friend's house, a girl, of course, a beautiful, leggy, blonde girl, um, who had invited him to her house, and missionaries would be there, and it would be dinner. Uh, he, he had a discussion. I wound up showing up there near the end of the discussion, brought Tim home after an hour or so, and apparently they'd set up another appointment, and I showed up at our apartment just when they were sitting down at the next appointment, and that continued, actually. I conveniently showed up at my apartment uh, right as, at the same time that missionaries were showing up there because I have no recollection of ever caring about the time they were coming back. I was not interested. I was decidedly, aggressively uninterested by what they had to say and fairly bored by it until they talked about things that we could do for those who've gone uh, before us. Uh, and they talked about eternal families, how families are supposed to last for eternities, not just this life, which I thought was fantastic. What a good idea. Live with my true love for, forever, for actual ever. You know what I'm saying? Uh, so that was of interest, but it didn't last long. Um, but it was of interest, so I'll say that. Uh, and then I had some experiences, and after those experiences, I found myself um, kind of flailing about, not sure what to do, but suddenly I knew that God was real. And uh, Rich turned to the Book of Mormon, read a, a verse there that told me that I should join their, join this church. So I joined this church having almost no belief, and then duh, 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 I went on a mission a year and four months later. Now, when you go on a mission in the LDS Church, you um, tend to go to what's called a missionary training center. Not tend to, you just do. Uh, In my day, in 1994, um, the missionary training center was the one in Provo. That that was it. Everybody from around the world would go to that missionary training center. Uh, So I went there first, and I loved it, man. I loved uh, the teachers. I loved the environment. I thought it was wonderful. And I thought, man, I just I would love to teach here because I was getting, you know, all fired up. You know what I'm saying? Uh, And and so during that time, I was at the Missionary Training Center or MTC for short. I decided that I wanted to teach at the MTC and I would love to make it my full time job eventually, if possible, which never happened. Um, But I asked my teachers on my second or third to last day, hey, how do I get a job here? And they said, well, after you're done with your mission, you come if you come to BYU, you have a chance of working here. But you have to be a student at BYU. And so I said, Oh, I guess I'm going to BYU. And so I got up my mission in Brazil. Brazil. Foi bom demais. I in Brasilia. I served in Brasilia, the capital. Uh, made some dear, dear friends. Um, friends I love very much. Uh, the Silvas. Um, just Armando and Irani and Alini and uh, Victor Hugo. I just love you guys. Uh, any of you other guys, if, if you're listening, I loved you guys very much and I still do. I had a life-changing two years. Um, just humbling, it broke me in all the right ways. And I got to put myself back together in all the right ways, and it was beautiful. So I'm very grateful for it. Came home for my mission, and guess what? Um, applied for, uh, to get into BYU right before I came home. Or, or no, right, right after I did, I think it was just in time. Uh, and was accepted uh, Im- immediately um, for winter semester. Yeah, so I must have applied. That's, yeah, I must have applied uh, as soon as I got home. Uh, which is in the middle of uh, 96, and then uh, was accepted for winter semester of 97. And, you know, I didn't apply to any other schools because I just didn't care. <laughs> I didn't really want to go to school. I wanted to teach at MTC. And so um, I, I prepared for BYU, to go to BYU, by working many jobs. I started working at Stampin' Up! again. Stampin' Up! is the company I'd worked for before I went on my mission. Um, and I was hired by one of the co-owners, Vonna Crosby. Uh, she saw me working at my job, The Junction, down, it's called Big Al's Junction Drive-In down in uh, Kanab. Uh, I was a hard worker. I was cleaning things as, as we were waiting for her order, and I was talking to her at the same time. She's like, you know what? You're a, really, you're a hard worker. Would you like to come work for me? My husband needs help in the, uh, in the stamp burning room. And I'm like, sure, why not? They were going to give me a little raise from what I was making, and I actually ended up getting a big raise every month or two while I worked there because I was very productive. I took over for Sean Crosby, uh, Vana's husband, uh, after a couple of months and uh, burnt all their stamps for, golly, you know, all of 90, like the last half at least of, excuse me, the, the first half at least of 94. I made all their stamps and definitely a lot, almost all their stamps for the last part of 93. So um, that was great. I got to save a bunch of money. Uh, but also after my mission, I uh, went back to work there at a, at a nice increased rate. And where I was the one guy doing all the burning, by the time I came home from the mission, Stampin' Up had grown so much. It was a team of six, I think, and doing the same job I was doing. But, of course, on a grander scale with very big ovens and stuff like that. So I was a rubber vulcanizing engineer. uh, I rejoined that team. But I also, they allowed me to do a bunch of overtime. Um, And so I did, I worked there about 50 to 60 hours a week. When I wasn't burning, I was helping uh, pick. I was pick the stamps and package them and help ship them. Um, and I met a girl there named Bronwyn. She was great. We dated for a while. Um, and then we didn't. We, when we went to college, we were done. That was fine. Uh, and then at the same time, I also got a, a job at Lotza Mazza Pizza, helping a guy named Todd, who ran the place, who owned the place. I learned to make pizza. I did a lot of delivery, and I made some good money. So I worked 60 to 70 hours a week um, right after my mission and saved a ton of money, uh, or certainly enough to pay for school, uh, and then got a, a half-tuition scholarship my next semester, and so on and so on. So accepted and uh, put all together, put together all the money, and planned on moving up to Provo uh, just in time to start winter semester of nineteen ninety seven. This is all very important as to how I met their mother. Okay, um, I want to tell you how I arrived in Provo, and then we'll take a quick break. So uh, I bought a I bought a white uh, Chevy S ten. Um, a month or so after I got home, so I could drive around, maybe even less than a month, within probably a few weeks, actually, from a friend of a friend, actually from a sister of a friend. Anyway, so we, um, I bought that truck and uh, loaded it up. And after New Year, I drove up to Provo uh, in not terrible weather, but it was sort of messy. Uh, I had a cap for my pickup truck. It was a small pickup truck, not a not a giant one, a small S10. Uh, drove into town and had nowhere to live. But my friend, Andrew, who I'd served a mission with, we'd actually been in the missionary training center together. He had a friend who he said, I think that he they have a space in their apartment at the Glenwood. Uh, you should go check it out. And so I drove to Provo, having nowhere to live, but having a, a lead on a place. I think that's more often than I, I would have thought. Um, anyway, worked out. You know, I got a, I got I shared a room with a guy named Nolan, who's in federal prison right now, which is weird. Um, and uh he, yeah, it worked out fine. Uh, and then I started school. And uh, that's it for now. we'll we'll pause for a quick uh, message from our sponsor and then I'll tell you the rest of the story. So the scene was me driving into Provo. It was about eight or so at night, maybe seven or so. No, it was it, it felt later than it really was. That's right, because it was dark. It was January. probably six or seven at night at the latest. Um pulling into Provo, uh, driving down University Avenue. Uh, there's snowy stuff on the sides, things it's a little bit wet that night. Uh, driving to Glenwood, um, and I meet the guys because I have an apartment number, and then I go over to the office, and I sign a lease, and there's that. Put the money down, all's good. Uh, next day, I go to class. The actual next day, I wind up in class, which is great. Uh, and then um, the next day, I go to my first class of the day, which is in the, uh, I forget the building, the Grant Building, I think, actually, Hebrew J. Grant Building, and, um, which is also the testing center on BYU campus. And uh, it's an it's a honors writing class, honors literature and writing class. And I'm get, I get there nearly first because my, the class right after it, well, it's my first class of the day, if I remember right, either that or the class right before it was in the building across just a, a walkway. So it's real close. I got there almost first. All these other students start filing in. And, you know, I'm a little intimidated by this big new experience. But I'm feeling like everything's new, you know. I left behind just a terrible life back some years before this, right? Uh, I, I have, But I have changed myself. I am molding myself the way I want to be molded with God's help is how I felt, right? Uh, this was all exciting. There was... It was daunting, to be sure, but the daunting was nowhere near as uh, powerful a a motivating factor as how excited I was and how uh, delighted I was to be there, um, how uninterested I was in learning because I just didn't care about school. Uh, Do your homework. Uh, Well, yeah, do your homework, even if it's assigned. But if you're in elementary school, you shouldn't have homework. Anyway, back to work. Um, And I had also immediately uh, gotten an interview at the MTC and was already being hired. Uh, I, started, I started within a week of, of moving to Provo. I started at the MTC, so that all worked out well. Uh, somebody knew what they were doing. So um, sitting there in class, all these students are filing in. They all look really smart, but the, the, the professor walks in. He's a little stout, little stout, uh, kind of got a bushy mustache, which is a little unusual at BYU, which still frowns on facial hair, which one of these days should change. His name is Dr. Fred Pinnegar. Uh, we start class a minute or two into class, uh, really smart-looking woman young woman walks in um she's she looks about my age i was 21 i think yeah i think no i was 20 golly i was 22 by then wouldn't i yeah um nearly 23 i was turning 23 there so um i'm sitting there and this really impressive looking young woman walks in she's wearing earthen color earth tone colors uh, she looks very smart, looks like she's got her crap together, but of course she's a little late, which turned out to be how it worked for her. Her class previous was direct all the way to the other side, like diagonally to the other side of campus. I'm gesturing, which is hilarious because you can't see me. But if you know BYU campus, the grant buildings on the, like, the, what is it? I don't know, it's like the south west end or something like that and the hvac is the northeast end it's crazy far away you know there's no way to really make that in 10 minutes so she was late every time her name was Anne marie uh we met each other that day i think in a get to know you activity real quick or at least an introduce yourself activity i was wearing an animal liberation sweatshirt just to cause a you know to get a little bit of notice i think more than anything else Um, i think one of the hats i got in brazil um and um you know, otherwise looked fairly normal and uh, non-threatening and non-former cultish, um, but we got to know each other. Uh, we bonded over theater over the next uh, few conversations there in that class, and we wound up doing a. I asked her to be my partner, uh, in in a in a pairs project in which we had to do an essay and some research and stuff about something important. I forget the actual theme was, but we ended up doing it on high school theater, which had been what we had originally kind of. Connected over because she did a bunch of theater in high school in her four years there I actually done all that theater for that one year of high school that I did followed by that summer Followed by right after my mission, you know, so plenty of theater packed into a fairly short amount of time And I loved it. I loved it dearly and I already loved Shakespeare and so we we had a lot to talk about Uh shared movies and stuff and some music and stuff. I introduced her to indigo girls so that's kind of adding value to the world and um Overall, just became good friends. You know, we we we, we talked easily. Uh, we laughed a lot, um, and she shared about her family in Alaska. I talked about my p- weird past, uh, and you know, so I had these classes. I had this class with her. And I had my work, and so we ended up a fair spending. You know, a fair amount of sp- fair uh, free time together, um, not all of it, but a fair amount, and that number that amount increased uh, over the next few weeks. Uh, and, um, you know, I started following her out of class as our conversations continued. I didn't have a class right after, and neither did she. She actually, after our class, she would go to the chemistry building, which is where her uncle um, worked. Uh, her uncle married to her dad's sister. And, her da- and they, they lived out in a, a town not too far from here, uh, that professor family. Uh, and her aunt uh, would make her a lunch every day and have her daughter, who was also going to BYU, bring it in or no, her husband, bring it in and put it in the fridge there in his chemistry office. And so Anne-Marie would go up these stairs and I'd follow her and we'd talk and she'd get her lunch and I'd follow her and we'd talk. We'd go back downstairs. I'd follow her and we'd talk. She would eat her lunch and I'd eat usually nothing. Um, I didn't eat a whole lot then. I had not a whole lot of extra money or none really. Um, And she'd give me her caprice on and we'd talk uh, and laugh and then we'd go off to classes and that was that usually for the day. But then that continued to kind of increase. Uh, We found reasons leading up to our project to talk to late quite late sometimes maybe we may have broken curfew once or twice sorry BYU Um, I didn't realize that the curfew applied to off-campus until later and then as soon as I knew that we we followed that Um, but yeah I didn't know Uh, we watched Dead Poet Society several other movies we played music uh, Les Miserables I played that for her over the phone once it's because I love it Uh, we started hanging out more and more and finally one day you know, and I liked her so much. She was so much fun. I considered her my best friend, okay? Um, and she was just great. I, I don't know what she saw in me at the time because I was probably a weirdo, not too long off my mission. I'd been a missionary longer than I'd been, like, a regular person member of this church who's who owns BYU, you know? So I must have been kind of weird, maybe a lot weird. Maybe I've never stopped that. I don't know. But... um then my my uh, roommates were one day quizzing me. One of them was named Hines. Another was named Nolan. And then another really tall guy with a big underbite was named Chad. Um, Chad. Anyway, uh, they they kind of started quizzing me one night. Like, what what are you and Anne Marie doing? And I'm like, uh, hanging out and doing a project together. <clears throat> but you guys aren't like dating or anything. I kind of giggled at that question there because I was like, no. I hadn't really even thought of Anne-Marie in that way. You know, she was a pretty girl, but I, I, we just had a lot of fun. And honestly, I, I I was dating plenty of other girls. I was I had a friend who actually had met an MTC. She'd gone to a different mission in, in Brazil. Uh, we'd reconnected at BYU. We were dating a little bit here and there, nothing serious. There were a couple of girls in my class and my ward that I was uh, spending time with. So I wasn't really looking for a bunch of more people to date, but... They're like, are you serious? You're not dating? It seems like you are. You guys get along better than anybody I know. And I'm like, well, that's fine. But I've never even thought of her in that way because, and I don't know why, honestly. But that was a bit of a, a light going on moment because I thought, well, she is kind of awesome. And I kind of dig all the time we spend together. And she's one, she's my favorite person that I know right now, uh, kind of by a margin, honestly. And then it kind of, you know, occurred to me, she's also extremely pretty. Um, and, um, hey, I'm, looks are important. I mean, they're not everything, but they're kind of important. you got to feel attracted to somebody, right? Uh, and I realized, you know, hey, wait a minute. I, I think I was interested in her all along and hadn't really been being honest with myself or something. Uh, because the moment they, that occurred to me, I was like, I, I probably need to ask her out. Uh, and so, you know, I don't need to get into too many of the details, you know, about how this all occurred. But I finally one day said, hey, you know what, why don't I take you out? Or we should go on a date. And um I should I should have her respond to this sometime see what she remembers but she she agreed that we should go on a date. I think that she'd had her her friends set her up a couple of times on a couple of dates her, she lived with her cousin at a, in a dorm um, and some dear friends that she'd made in this dorm very supportive sweet people who helped her through some difficult times. Uh, they were very good people um, and hilarious Jamie and uh, Lila her cousin. Um, And some other folks who I forgot. I'm sorry. I forgot their names Um, Anyway, so they they had set her up and she'd gone on a few dates here and there and that's that's very nice Uh, But I I took her on a date and we decided to go to dinner. We went to dinner Uh, I'll tell you Maggleby's uh, I I don't know if it was an off day, but we found the food fairly dull Uh, And then we went to a, a BYU dance show of some kind. I forget what it was uh, I believe we kind of, we must have gone in February, early February. So I don't know what that show is back then, but we went to it and we had a great time. It was so much fun, it, you know, and it was great to have that kind of unfettered fun with someone, you know, uh, not have to hide it or pretend or anything. I loved it. I thought it was great. And um, we hung out more. I gave her a big Winnie the Pooh, about 16, 14, 16 inches tall, big guy. Winnie the Pooh for Valentine's day by the, by Valentine's day of 1997, that winter semester, we, we were, we were dating. So I mean, you know, a gift at Valentine's Day was appropriate. Appropriate. I think I gave it to her actually in a in a drive-through of a Del Taco or a Taco Bell. I don't I don't think I'm remembering that wrong. Gosh, I hope I'm not. Uh, in In any case, we we spent a lot of time together. We had some nice dates uh, up at Canyon Glen Park, which is just up Provo River, um, or, or excuse me, up Provo Canyon right across on the Provo River. Um, we did some cooking together. I made her a white an egg, an egg whites omelet. Many months later. And then um, you know as the semester was winding down we got very busy and uh, ended up having to kind of spend a little more time apart but still spending as much time as we could together because we were absolutely seriously dating a lot of snuggles um, and leaning on each other when watching movies and holding hands Um, no kisses yet Uh, and then the last day of her being here in this town where byu is uh, before going to alaska for the summer this last day rolled around And um, she was going back to Alaska the next day. And I unfortunately kept her out kind of late, just hanging out. We had done some driving lessons in the law school parking lot Uh, earlier in the semester. We did another one that night a little bit. And then we just hung out talking. And I really wanted to kiss her, but I've always been a coward about those moments. I've never done them right or elegantly. uh, But I finally leaned in and gave her a kiss. And that was a nice thing uh, for our last evening together yes it's all very chaste people don't be fubecas which is a portuguese word and uh that was that uh, another kiss uh, to say g- goodbye that night i got back to her apartment uh, fairly early-ish the next day she was fer- feverishly packing and she was way behind uh she finally got finished packing with this giant <clears throat> giant bag i mean the size of a size of a human being bigger even maybe you know five feet tall maybe bigger and heavy with all this stuff but that's all she had uh she finally finished packing that we threw it in my in my truck and i think we left her uh, heritage halls there by downtown provo or near downtown provo i think we left there um an hour and a quarter before her flight was supposed to take off and we so we were running way late Luckily, this was back in 1997, and it was a lot quicker of a process to get through security and all that stuff. And so, um, I man, I drove so fast. Um, we I, I broke all the speed limits getting up to the airport. Um, and Luckily, I'd been uh, driving up there a little bit here and there, and I knew my way around. I could get there very quickly. Uh, I think we had angels opening the way for us because I don't remember any traffic. Man, we flew. We got her there just in time, and we said goodbye, I think, with a smooch again. And she got on her plane, and that was that. She was gone for the whole summer and, um, I missed her like crazy, man. I mean, having her, she'd been great, you know, um, just, just wonderful, uh, having somebody to spend that much time with and somebody I just connected with in every way was wonderful. And then having her gone, uh, was worse, right. Uh, than if it, she'd never been there anyway. So, uh, she left at the uh, end of April, um, and my birthday was coming about a week after she left. Which was sad, you know, because I was she was going to miss, we were going to miss having my birthday together. But then my birthday rolled around and uh, there was a present waiting for me somewhere, like in my living room or something. Um, or a note, something. And it, and it was actually from her somehow. Uh, and then the next day there was another present or a clue to another present somewhere. And then that happened for several more days uh, as I was turning 24. Several more presents showed up, I think, via notes or scavenger hunts or something. And it turned out Anne-Marie had enlisted the help of a roommate of mine uh, somehow. And I don't know how that worked. Is that right? Maybe I'm thinking of that the wrong way. Um, I don't remember. So, shoot, I don't remember. I think, I think she had because it was right after I'd moved into the, my new apartment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was after I'd moved into my new apartment. And this, this, this good friend helped me helped her give me this great series of presents. Uh, It was the greatest thing that had ever happened to me in my life. Uh, Somebody being that uh, thoughtful and considerate about me, um, seeing me, thinking about me, putting mental and physical and emotional effort into me was a new thing, guys. You know my life. You know my history. This was affecting in many ways. I... I was devoted, hopelessly devoted to her after this. I'd never had anything like this before, and I'd had plenty of girlfriends, right? But they had been passing things, passing relationships which were instructive for me, but nothing like this, uh, and nothing like her. Um, And so that was extraordinary and wonderful, and uh, I would never um, not love her because of it. So um, she's great. That was awesome. And I worked through that whole summer. I, I, I set, apart, set aside the entire first half of that term to take pre-college math, uh, which I, whew, I worked 14 hours a week on it and I, I got a B in it and that's all that mattered. Or a B plus. Um, and I also worked for Nestle for a few weeks. Uh, my grandma sent me a check, which is why I stopped working for Nestle. Um, and I worked at the MTC for 40 hours a week. Um, it was altogether a good summer. And during that summer, we wrote emails to each other a little bit and mostly a lot of cool letters in which we made each other laugh. Uh, you may have noticed this is going over half an hour. Uh, and uh, the letters were great. Sometimes we'd express feelings. I'd say express some kind of serious feelings that probably made her a little, like, wary, but not too wary because she was feeling the same way, you know. Um, and um, as the summer was coming to a close, we, you know, we talked on the phone a few times. That was back when, you know, Phones cost money, phone calls at least. And so we had to be careful of that because we were paying our bills and stuff. Um, but yeah, I think I even called her on a couple of B- on BYU phones sometimes or something like that. Anyway, uh, and so we stayed in close touch. And I, I, you know, I had some very special experiences as I considered and prayed about what was in, in the future for us. Um, and um, was, you know, of course, nervous about her coming home. Uh, would it still be the same? Would we feel the same way? Would we have changed for the, you know After these three and a half, four months apart, um, I was nervous. And I bet she was too. I'm pretty sure she was nervous as well. Um, she, in the summer, by the way, up in Alaska, she went and worked for a, a tour group, a tour company up there, Holland America, and um, made good money. Uh, she was a, kind of a, a, a customer service associate in a hotel where she would in, interact with the, the customers and help them get their bags, help them get their package of tours and stuff like that all together. Uh, She made some good friends. She hung out with the luggage guys because they were hilarious and ridiculous. Uh, One of them, I think, had a crush on her. And then she told me that she had cut her hair and uh, dyed it. Now, when we'd met, her hair was in a sort of long bob uh, to just just around her shoulders. By the time she'd left, it was several inches below her shoulders, but in the same style. Um, And so she said she'd cut her hair short and had dyed it red. And I was like, well, that's fascinating. And I was nervous. But I was, you know, who cares? It's just hair. I love this girl. Um, But I think she was kind of nervous about how I'd react. Uh, Well, I'll tell you how I reacted, my friends. Uh, I went to the airport to pick her up, went all the way to the gate. Because you could back then. It was back in those days, which we could have again, honestly. Um, TSA is theater. That's all. Anyway, so I should like it more since it's theater. That's weird. In any case, I went to the gate, waited for her. She came out. Uh, her hair was this adorable pixie cut uh, in this beautiful red that just set her face off right. And I was like, oh my gosh, she's a fox. Um, and uh, we embraced and I think gave each other a little smooch. And it was great to have her back. And my feelings for her had not changed except for they had increased. Um, just utterly increased. She was, I remember everything about her <laughs> she was wearing these nice blue jeans that weren't those tight, weird skinny jeans that they have these days, but they were nice. They were feminine. She was wearing also a, a a white t-shirt type thing, but it was kind of lacy as well. Kind of weird, not lacy like fringed, but a really funky design that was a solid white t-shirt, but had some lace patterns on the, around it, uh, but it fit her really well. And she, she's got a, she was built like a lady as far as I'm concerned. That's all I'm going to say. Uh, and I was appreciative of that. Uh, and so, um, Thumbs up, I was happy to see her, and she was in a sight for my happy miss, missing her eyes. Uh, and we hung out like crazy. The apartment I'd moved into turned out to be 150 yards from the apartment she moved into because she left Heritage for this Heritage Hall, the dormitory, for this next school year. Um, that was amazing and a miracle, and uh, we were very happy about that convenience. Uh, and um, so we hung out all the time. And I'm not going to tell you all the nitty-gritty details, but um, let's see, school started up again in late August, I think it was, um, maybe very early September, probably very early September. Uh, we hung out and did some making out and do all the good things and had great conversations, talked to her roommates. Uh, I met her best friend who lived two, two floors up in the same building as her um, and uh, j- just all together had a great time. I told her I loved her one night in a stupid, awkward way. She told me the same back uh, and I flubbed her birthday that year in a very bad way. I thought that she had plans and so I just let it, but she had had plans, but she wouldn't, she would really have appreciated me making plans to celebrate her. So uh, yeah, I had a lot, lot to make up for, for that. That sucked. We decided to go on a long trip, not a long trip. We decided to go on a little trip. Uh, I, she hadn't, I don't believe I'd taught, brought her down to Kanab yet, although maybe I had. I don't remember. Anyway, I don't think I had. Um, and so I took her down to Kanab, um, where my ex-stepmom, Susan, and my sister, Emma, lived uh, down in Kanab. And we crashed there that one night, Friday night. And then we went to Zion National Park the, the next night. And um, she'd never been seen anything like it. She was blown away. Uh, this was back also when Zion was different. I mean, the, the views were the same. But far fewer people, like not even a hundredth of the people were there. Uh, you could just drive in and park wherever you could find a spot, which was not that hard back in those days. We parked and we went up Zion, Angel's Landing. We just walked up. It wasn't, it's not that hard of a hike. At least it wasn't back then. For me today, now it probably would be. We hiked all the way to the top. But on the way, about halfway up, I had this, this voice hit my head that said, hey, ask her to marry you. Like, you, voice, can just go, you know, shimmy up a tree and throw yourself off a cliff. Not a chance. I don't I don't want to scare her away. But the voice said, oh, you will lose her if you don't. Like, that's a bunch of hocus pocus crap. No way. Uh, argued with that voice and got a little quiet, apparently. Um, as we ascended the Angel's Landing, um, had some great times. We got some great photos of us being really stupid, but having a good time going up that hike um at the i was like maybe at the top i will maybe at the top i'll go on one knee it'll be a big romantic thing it'll be great i'll propose and then at the top there were quite a few people probably 15 or so people up there and i was like you know what no not in front of all these people although i really should have guys i really should have even without a ring because i hadn't planned it and she and i hadn't talked really about getting married to each other we talked about the fact of marriage existing um and we talked a fact about uh, the, about you know certain plans that we might have you know certain not necessarily with each other but like how many kids might a person want to have uh she thought about she'd been intending on going on a mission you know as well cuz she was coming of age for that as well uh in another little while and uh sorry for the click and um i i did not propose at the top of angels landing although uh yeah i should have guys um uh, let, let me uh, let me finish the story, and then I'm going to give you some advice, and then I'm going to give you one more piece of advice, and then we're going to sign off. I did not, and then I yelled at myself the whole way down, saying, you missed an opportunity. Even though you wouldn't plan it, uh, you didn't have a ring, you could have done something awesome up there. You idiot. Uh, and that made me not happy with myself, which made the paralysis that came right after that much worse. Uh, we got to the bottom of the, of, the, of the Angels landing we had a little picnic of some light food that we brought uh, just on a picnic bench right next to our the truck that, that we'd driven down um, and um, I stalled because I kept I felt like I had to propose to her and I don't know where I'd gotten this rock solid certainty but I, I felt sure that I shouldn't chicken out even though I really wanted to chicken out and I really tried to chicken out I did not want to chicken out and so I didn't uh, but what that meant was I kept stalling and stalling and the, the stars came out and there was this incredibly thick canopy of stars. Uh, it was beautiful. So th- that was an easy excuse to stick around. Let's keep looking at the stars. I think we saw some shooting stars there. It was beautiful, beautiful stuff. And I kept stalling. Finally, she's like, why don't we go? It's getting a little cold. I'm like, you're right, you know, but then I'm like, oh wait, you know what? Let's just hang out. It's really p- pretty here. Finally, finally, I got on one knee. I didn't. I didn't do that finally i said you know you know you shouldn't maybe we should get married um that was my proposal maybe we should get married and anne marie and her long-suffering patients um said what and i repeated it you know, maybe we should get married i'm not saying like right now or next month or really soon or anything but i think maybe we should get married um and you know i'd been trying to lead up to it which is terrible um, and uh, she, she asked me some questions and I thought she was interviewing me to see if I'd make a good match But she would know that what she was actually doing it turns out was she was trying to give me the opportunity To do it right to actually ask the question which I failed to do because I'm a chicken-crap-nugget idiot and um, She did say yes, and you know that was that in my mind that you know, she said yes It was okay, but the truth was that I should have proposed right? Uh, but we had a conversation going, going back home or back to where my ex stepmom lived. Uh, Hey, we're engaged. This is crazy. Well, let's, let's keep it to ourselves just for a joke. Uh, we made it back, uh, early enough for, I don't know. It was dark, but, uh, still early, not too, not too cold at all. It was, it was October. So it wasn't all that cold down there. When it ended up going to the park over there with, uh, Emma, my little sister, uh, and we were goofing around and horse, horsing around. And, um, I pinned Anne Marie, and Emma's like, "Ask her to marry you," and we laughed and laughed because I'd already done that, but in a very terrible way. But that had already left my mind, although I'm sure it hadn't left Anne Marie's mind. Um, and anyway, we we ended up keeping it to ourselves for a week, uh, for who knows why? I don't even know why. Probably because I'm an idiot. She we went and chose a ring. It was a nice ring at a at a mall ring stand, just like a Native American jewelry. It's $20. I paid for it with cash out of my pocket because Henry's awesome, man. Guys, don't go into debt at the beginning of your marriage. If you think that because you're getting married, you have to show your love by going into $10,000 in debt or even $2,000 in debt for a ring, you are wrong. You have the wrong idea about marriage. You have the wrong idea about weddings. You're wrong you're wrong you're wrong even if the person you love and want to spend your life with says i have to have this lovely ring i've had my heart set on if it's two or three thousand dollars and it's going to put you in debt that's the wrong ring and that's probably the wrong person just going to say it uh we ended up telling everybody it was great we talked to their her parents and i didn't get permission but we made sure we got their blessing um and that was that um we got married you know uh the day before my my birthday the next year and life has been on the up and up. I will tell you one quick thing and then give you the two pieces of advice. The one quick thing is a year later, uh, no, two years later, we were in Japan. We'd been there for about a year, near a year. And on our two year anniversary, I set up a very romantic evening in our home and set up a nice dinner and reproposed. It does not erase the stupidity of my ridiculous badness, but I reproposed in the most romantic way I could. Uh, and hopefully er, er, softened the terrible memory of my original proposal because I'm a fool. I'm a fool. Um, Anyway, uh, another quick thing, and then that's that. So we got married. um, We went to Alaska right away to work for the summer, had a great time, had some great experiences, ran the B&B that her mom and dad ran or owned uh, while at the same time working uh, for the same tour company she'd worked for, made good money, came back, and we're ready to rock and roll, Uh, She was still wearing the very fun little uh, sterling silver engagement ring, but I immediately started selling plasma. I did it uh, most of the time. I was able to keep up a rhythm of twice a week. Uh, In about three months, I was able to buy a nice little channel cut diamond ring for her without her knowing on white gold uh, based on the money that I earned from selling my plasma. And... um, I put that in a little box. I put that little box in a bigger box. I put that bigger box in a bigger box. And then I smashed it with a hammer. No, I put it under our Christmas tree uh, well before Christmas and um, had it wrapped and stuff. So she had no idea. But I thought that's one of my better moments was getting her that, that nice ring with blood money, my friends. Blood money. Okay, now to the advice. My friends, my friends, my friends, my friends. Listen closely. Gather around Uncle Jared. I've done some really dumb, stupid things that have created funny memories that are embarrassing to me the stupid way I proposed among other things the dumb way I said I love you for the first time honestly Um, you don't have to get things right you don't have to get things perfect you don't have to fulfill some perfect vision you have in your head but you do have to commit fully to what you're doing so that you don't come off as a fool that you will regret. Because what you do here, when you say I love you for the first time, if that's the person you're going to end up being with for the rest of eternity, that, that you're going to remember that forever. So get it a lot more right than I did. Don't write it on her back in Portuguese. I'm, not, I'm saying too much. But say I love you. Mean it. Even if it's fumbly, look her in the eyes. Look him in the eyes. Say I love you. Okay, and when it's time to propose, you do not need some giant to do, you don't need a flash mob, you don't need to edit yourself into some animated movie, but you do need to commit to it and you need to deliver it in a way that you can look back and think, I was at my best self there. I did my best to do that right there, Uh, you know, respecting them, respecting the moment, respecting the memory that we're creating. So go all in on that and get it right in as much as you can it right does not mean an expensive an insane a ridiculous proposal you're welcome to do that but that's not necessary and in some cases i think that cheapens it especially when it's in public for all to see make just do it right man this is a memory you're making a good or a bad one don't make it a bad one blah, 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 blah. just don't Nah, don't make my mistakes learn from my errors my friends and now for the last piece of advice and then to sign off On this podcast until the epilogues come i would like to tell you what it is that has made my journey as successful as it has been please don't hear has made me rich don't hear has made me perfect has made me instagram perfection or even real perfection uh, or everything's copacetic don't hear that when i say successful hear happy, firmly, obnoxiously happy, deliberately happy. Okay. The thing that has made me that is that I have said, okay, to most opportunities, the good ones. Don't say yes necessarily to everything, but maybe you should say yes to a lot more things. You don't have to say yes to all the work that everybody wants to give you. You don't have to say yes to every piece of you that somebody wants to take but I would recommend you say yes to every awesome thing that comes around. You know, don't put yourself on the street, um, but take some risks, man. Say yes to the cool. Say, what if I do? I mean, if you're wondering, should I say yes? Say, but what if I don't? I mean, don't live your life to avoid regrets, but by golly, live your life to find beauty. Live your life to find magic and to find adventure and to expand your horizons. Say yes to some stuff, man. Don't limit yourself by, because of you know fear of risk or fear of change or fear of, oh, oh but all these other plans. Guys, guys, that, that adage of life is what happens while you're making other plans. No, you make life while you make other plans. You can go ahead and have your plans and you can hit those plans as you do these other things, but you make your life awesome by saying, yeah, why not? Case in point. Right after we came back from our summer up in Alaska together, our first, you know, our summer together at Radford Getting Married, a couple months in, we decided that we were going to go to London on study abroad. So we applied and we were accepted. After that was all going and we were saving money like crazy to get up over there because we didn't want to go into debt, we met in the library one day and Henry said, why don't we go to Japan too? like, what? And she told me what she was talking about. it was this job that was available, and we got some details. We talked to the person that she'd talked to. And you know, I was like, "This is crazy. We're going to London. Why don't we just come back and just have regular, regular life?" But I said, "You know what? What the heck is wrong with me? Yes, Let's go. Let's do that. That sounds awesome." And we had a life-changing experience, because we said, "Why not? Why live small? Live big?" So that is my second advice. Say, why not? You're not to the destructive things that are obviously destructive. But say why not to some potentially magic or some 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 maybe things that put you out of your comfort zone. Say, yeah, why not? Say yes. Don't be yes man or yes woman. But say, I'm going to give this a go. Okay. It's not very pithy. All right. I should have thought about that maybe a little more. Uh, but I'm going to say, say live a life of what if and why not? Um, and if you do that, I think that you're going to find some magic and some happiness and if you can find somebody who you can live that kind of life with, who you can work together, who you can check each other and push each other to do that, I think that you're gonna have a magical life. Uh, that's all for me. That's all for Tales from a Cult Insider until the epilogues that start showing up maybe in a couple of months. I appreciate you kinda coming on this journey. Uh, I'm not gonna apologize for the length of this episode. It's kind of a lot to say, a lot to do, a lot to talk about. But that is how I met their mother, the mother of my glorious family, my dream family. That is the story of how we came together and how we were able to make seven kids uh, and experience all the wonder wonder and awe and beauty and difficult and challenging and trials um, that we've gone through. And uh, it's been a good story. It's been a good life. There's a lot more to go. Hey, I'll see you on the flip side. Come join me for the epilogues. And you know what? I'm launching another podcast. It's called The Lance. Yeah, the first episode will drop probably in about another month. It's just a It's just a chit-chat conversation about all things fandom and geekdom. Until we talk again, my friends, tell your friends, tell your loved ones that you love them. Uh, Look around, find you some beauty, and enjoy it. Drink it up. See you guys.